On this Palm Sunday, we'll take a respite, there we go, my my bad, from uh, the Gospel of John, pick up there after Easter, but let's think about Palm Sunday today, and the deep and wonderful meaning that it has for the people of the Lord. I want to bring you a message that I call, Behold, Your King is Coming to You, and we're going to talk about the stable of the king. In the New Testament, we are presented with the truth that our Lord rode and will ride two different animals. The first one, the one that he rode, is a centerpiece of the, stu- of the study and story of Palm Sunday. But the crux of the message is this, your king is coming to you. With that in mind, let's look at various scriptures. Uh, We're going to start here uh, and look at the Old Testament and what the New Testament says about it. The king first is seen coming and presenting himself to his people in the gospel accounts as the king of peace. Thus he is seated on a donkey. It starts with the prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. In Zechariah, we have prophecies of both comings of Christ. They're quite detailed. Part of the work of Christ was to make the Jews of his day in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area, the Israelites, to make them to understand and distinguish the fact and to teach the truth that the Old Testament teaches of the Messiah that he comes twice. He comes first as a suffering servant and then he comes as the reigning king of kings. And Zechariah looks at both of those in his prophecy here as he prophesies about the plight of the people of God in the city of Jerusalem, he first references the first coming of the Messiah. Here it is in verse nine. Be exceedingly happy, O daughter of Zion. Now the term daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem, or the phrase, the two phrases, references how this great king doesn't just come as a king, but he comes as one of them. He comes as part of their family. And daughter of Jerusalem, daughter of Zion, daughter of Jerusalem, rejoice. Be exceedingly happy. Behold, your king shall come to you. He is just. He is, he is righteous and victorious. Humble. Ani, the Hebrew means lowly. Gentle and riding a donkey and a foal, the offspring of one of she donkeys, 
very, very particular in the prophecy here that when Jerusalem sees her king, when the daughter of Zion sees her king the first time, he comes gently, humbly, lowly. He offers himself to his people as one of them, as part of who we are. And so he is presented as a donkey. Now in, in, in the culture that's passed, in the culture of the, of the Bible, when a king would come to his people, he would come on a donkey to present himself in peace and in gentleness. He wasn't bringing an army to punish his people. He was coming to be their friend. He was coming to be their leader, to be one of them, to engage in who they were and what they were doing. And so Christ, in fulfilling the prophecies of the Messiah, especially here with regard to the first coming of the Christ, he comes in peace. And this is how he presents himself. It's on Palm Sunday, we know. And he presents himself peacefully riding the, the colt of a donkey. Now here is how that's fulfilled in Matthew 21 and there are other gospel accounts, but I, we're gonna look at Matthew 21. When they drew near to Jerusalem, this is Palm Sunday, and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey having been tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you will say that the Lord needs them. And then immediately he will send them. As we've studied the gospel of John, we have noted the sovereignty of God in all things. God is meticulous. He's not random. He works according to a particular plan that cannot and will not be changed at all. And somehow, in some kind of way, there has been this divine arrangement that the colt of the donkey and the donkey tied together will be brought to the Lord where he is. He has need of them. Now, it says, this then came to pass that what was spoken by the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king comes to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even upon a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Very carefully, the New Testament writer points out that this is a fulfillment of one of the prophecies of the Christ of God. Now, we could spend a lot of time over many days talking about the various prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Many of them are fulfilled regarding his first coming. But did you know that most of them are with regard to his second coming? 
But the first time that he comes, he comes in peace. When he read in his first public reading, Jesus in his synagogue opened the scroll to what you and I know to be Isaiah 61. And he, he talked about coming in peace and then he stopped at a comma. It would be a comma in, in English, in Hebrew text. It, it was a, a stop of the thought and then the remainder of the thought after that. But he didn't finish the sentence because the rest of the sentence referenced the wrath of God. When he began his public ministry, he proclaimed from their very scriptures and he said to them when he folded it back up and stopped at that comma, he said to them, today this is fulfilled before your very eyes. You know how he could have called legions of angels and how he stood before Pilate and having, having been uh, mistreated so terribly, Pilate knew that he was innocent and he said to those around, he said, behold the man. Pilate didn't see how he offered any danger to the Roman empire. And so Pilate said to Jesus, he said, look, to paraphrase, if you'll just make a case for yourself, I'll dismiss all this phony stuff that's been brought against you by the Jewish leaders. Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me except that it's been granted to you by my father in heaven. For this, for this hour, for this time, for this, he's on the way to the cross, for this, I came into the world. And so Pontius Pilate, you know, he washed his hands and sent him onto the cross and gave the people Barabbas. You know how that story goes. Christ could have called legions of angels. Do you remember? We'll see it later in our study on another Sunday later to come. They came to arrest Christ. Achilliarch was in charge, which means he was the commander of at least 600 men, 600 to 1,000 men. Now, they had a lot of Roman soldiers in that day stationed in and around Jerusalem because that was a hot spot in the world, still is, always has been. He, with his troops, at least 600 of them, because he's the guy who came, wasn't a centurion, it was a Kiliarch. So if he came, that means he brought at least 600 troops with him and the temple guard came as well, scores of temple guards. Jesus was praying, it was at night and the commotion was stirred and Jesus went right up to the leaders of this group of uh, men there to arrest him. And he said, whom seek ye? And he said, and they said to him, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. You remember what the Bible said? All of the soldiers fell down. He knocked them down with a thought. The great Christ of God, the God, the son. He wasn't taken to the cross. He went to the cross. He showed them that he could easily escape. An army from Rome was not enough. There, there aren't any armies 
that can conquer the Christ. But he showed his authority and his power all the way to the time that he gave himself up. He gave up the spirit, the ghost. He gave up the spirit. It is finished. It's accomplished. It's over. I've done it. I've paid the price for my own. And they are redeemed and we are ransomed because of what he did on the cross. And he called an end to it there by his power and his authority. Well, this is how he comes the first time. He could have come in anger and wrath, but he didn't. Because he had to go to the cross and secure my salvation. And if your name was written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world, according to the scripture, he came to secure your redemption and salvation as well. This is what he came to do. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, Christ loved his church and he gave his life for his church. He loved us that much. So he comes in peace the first time. This is on a Sunday before he is crucified the next Friday. He presents himself to them as their king. Now you read on down and the people spread their garments and they wave palm branches and they say, Hosanna is he to the son of David, which meant they acknowledged him as king, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is how he presented himself and this is how, oh man. But you see, they were not expecting, they didn't think that they needed a savior. They didn't think that their sins needed atonement from, by the death of another, the Lamb of God. The great problem that Jesus Christ came to correct in Judaism was that we cannot work to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We're a part of a fallen race. We're depraved. Our natural faults are evil. Only when we come to Christ and the Holy Spirit of God is deposited into our lives and he takes up residence with us, only then can we learn how to struggle against sin and made aware of it. So Christ comes to offer himself as the Savior, but these people who are welcoming him are thinking that he's going to overthrow Rome. Even some of his apostles still thought this. And that they could save themselves. They could work. They, could, they, they thought they could obey the Ten Commandments. They thought they could obey the law perfectly. And so by the time Friday comes, they will have rejected him. But he comes to present himself as a king and as a king of peace. He has not come at this point in time to judge. He has not come to bring the wrath of God. He has come to offer himself to his people in peace. And this is why, as Isaiah had prophesied, he can go like a, like a sheep to the slaughter. Not making a struggle, not calling on the armies of heaven, not displaying his mighty power. 
He goes willingly and humbly to the cross. He came the first time in peace. He came the first time riding a donkey. But he dismounted that donkey, did what he had to do, and the king of peace today is the king of mercy and grace. And he is seated on a throne. Let's look at it in the scriptures. From Luke 24. Now he led them out as far as Bethany and having lifted up his hands, he blessed them. And it came to pass in his blessing them that he was separated from them. And he was carried up into heaven. And having worshiped him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now Luke also writes the book of Acts. And volume one to his writing, answering the questions of, oh, most excellent Theophilus comes in Luke. And the rest of the story comes in the book of Acts, all from the hand of Luke. So it picks up with his, with his sending the people into, you know, into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts. And it goes from there to his ascension, which is described here. His wonderful ascension. Now he's been gone for these centuries, for these millennia. Somebody may ask the question, what's he doing? The Bible is very clear. Listen, he went to the cross to save you if you are in Christ. He went to the cross to save you. He has ascended into heaven, enthroned on a throne of grace, the throne of grace, to keep you saved. None of us ever stops sinning. We are born again. We have a new path. And our values are different. Our path is different. But we still stumble. We still have an enemy who pursues us, tries to destroy our testimony. So we need someone, the same one who died to save us, then to live again and keep us saved. Here's what the Bible says about this king seated on his throne from Hebrews 4. So our having a great high priest having passed through the heavens. That's his ascension. Jesus, the son of God, we should hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but by one having been tempted in all things by the same way without sin. Therefore, we should come with boldness to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and may find grace for help in time of need. This is a great benefit of being saved. My Savior who died on the cross to save me and my Savior, who took my sins and buried them in a tomb, my Savior, who was resurrected and carries in his heart for me that same resurrection power that will come upon me some infinitely glorious day, that same Savior has passed through the heavens and he is seated on the throne of grace and he extends to me grace 
and mercy, that we may receive mercy and may find grace for help in time of need. I mess up still. In this body, Paul describes it in Romans 7, the saved man who in this life still carries around on his back a body of death. I read where back in those days, one of the Roman penalties for killing somebody else was to take the dead body of the person you'd killed. They would attach it to your back and you'd have to walk around for such a long time with this dead thing on your back. This is the description that Paul gives for us in this present life. We struggle. We walk around with this old nature that's dead, but it's trying to hang on to us. And we need help all the time. So that we may receive mercy and may find grace. How? Because we have a high priest who understands our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every way that we've been tempted, but without sin. He is Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through the heavens. He's on the throne of grace. He's my lawyer. He is my intermediary. He is the one who argues for me. Satan will bring charges against me. Christ will present himself to the Father and simply say, he's one of mine. I died for him. Whatever he did, I've nailed it to the cross. At the end of his days, whatever he may be charged with, I carried it into the grave and left it there. And just as surely as I am raised from the dead, so then he shall be raised from the dead. Satan can't win that argument. He is our high priest, Hebrews 7. But because of his abiding, and I've, this is a wonderful Greek word up there, man in a tone phrase, his abiding, abiding of him, his abiding. Because he stays into the age, here's the deal. Aaron was the first high priest in the Old Testament, and then his sons, his descendants, where are they today? They died one after another. They died. They could only do so much, but they died because of their weakness. And their priesthood was just temporary, whoever they were. This high priest had to turn it over then. He had to die, and then he turned it over to one of his family, the next high priest, and so forth. It wasn't a permanent priesthood because it doesn't exist today. But I'll tell you this. In another part here it says he's, that Christ is after the order of Melchizedek. Shalom, the king of righteousness and king of peace. He, his priesthood here. His priesthood lasts forever. Why? Because he's the son of God. He stays into the age. He's with us always. Aaron, the high priest, his sons, all the way down. They're not with us. Christ is. He stays into the age forever, is another way to translate the Greek text. 
He holds a permanent priesthood. Wherefore also he is able to save. And this is such a wonder. You struggle on how to really, really translate this. It, uh, he's, he's, uh, pantales. Pantales. It's the entire completeness. But then it, then it says all the way into the, into the age. So Christ is able to save into the entire completeness throughout all time into forever. I hope that makes sense. I think King James may say to the uttermost. That just isn't deep enough to me. Not when you consider the language. He saves me into and beyond the age. I shall never, ever, ever be lost because he has saved me and he is keeping me saved. Look what it says. He saves into the entire completeness throughout all time into forever those drawing near to God through him. And what about him? This is his job. He always lives to intercede for them. For who? For those who have come to God through Christ. Believers. We are his He has us in the grasp of his hand. He will never, ever turn loose of us. We cannot be unborn from the great spiritual family into which we have been born spiritually. It will not happen. It cannot happen. Not because of my power, not because of my goodness, not because of my righteousness, but because of the power and the goodness and the righteousness of Christ who saved me. He has placed it upon me. Those drawing near to God through him, why do we do that? Because we need a savior. We can't save ourselves and we can't keep ourselves saved. Totally and absolutely out of our hands. So what happens? We have a high priest who saves us absolutely and forever. Why? Because he is always living to do that for me. That's what he does right now. You remember after his resurrection, but before his ascension, the woman was clinging to him. He said, stop clinging to me. I have to ascend to my father. I haven't ascended to my father yet. He still had work to do, you see, in the sense that he would intercede for us and be our high priest. He must be enthroned in the present throne of grace. He dismounted that donkey's colt went right into the tomb having been crucified paying the price for my ransom and my redemption in him comes out of the grave guarantees my resurrection ascends into heaven guaranteeing my eternal salvation he died to save me he lives to keep me saved But he's also the conquering king of kings 
who will be seated on a white horse. Now that donkey has been put out to pasture. Maybe he's protecting us from coyotes. My neighbor has cattle. And where there are cattle in our place, where we live around there, there are coyotes and they love beef. And they don't come alone and they don't come quietly. They will scream and squeal and carry on. What stopped them? Donkey. Now, we have four donkeys. It's four donkeys. I don't hear that squealing and screaming. I don't, I don't wake up to dead cows anymore back in that pasture. So maybe, maybe the Lord raptured that donkey. This is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. He raptured that donkey. And he's just invisibly circling me. Keeping demon coyotes away from me. Well, anyway, <laughs> the conquering king of kings is coming again, but not on, a, not on the beast of peace. Not on a donkey, not to come gently. I've told you many times about the old sticker that I used to see back in the 70s, back when people used to put bumper stickers all over their bumpers. It was in the day of the popularity of the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, Hal Lindsey. And you see, you'd see these stickers everywhere. It says, Jesus is coming again, and boy, is he mad. He's not coming in peace. He's coming as the king of kings, seated on a white horse, depicting the truth that he is the conquering, victorious king. He won't come again to offer himself on a cross. He won't come again in peace like that. He has been enthroned on the throne of grace, calling his own to himself through the centuries and centuries. But the day is coming when the last one who is going to come will come. In the case of the Gentiles, will be raptured and there will be seven years of tribulation. And we're going to see it here in Zechariah. Then Israel will be saved and Christ will come in power and glory on a white horse. This is the Revelation chapter 19. And I saw heaven opened up and behold a white horse. And the one sitting upon it called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire. And upon his head many royal crowns, having a name written which no one knows but him. Now in the, in the greater context of the revelation, you of course see that this is the Lion of Judah. This is the Christ of God who comes in power and in glory, specifically to those in and around Jerusalem. Let me explain that. 69, 69, um, 69 sets of seven. Daniel, it's translated by most as years. Sets of sevens, seven year periods. 69 
have passed and they pass concurrently one right after the other. But then it tells us and teaches us in Daniel, there's a pause and then the 70th. And Gabriel says to Daniel, he says, 77s have been determined upon your people. Now the 69 have passed and they come to an end, as Daniel says, with the cutting off or the, the murder of Messiah. And it says, and he will receive nothing. He doesn't go into the kingdom at that time on earth. And so there is this parenthetical pause when our king is enthroned on a throne of grace and mercy and begins to call him, call of the Gentiles to himself until the last one comes. And then he saves Israel from the beast, the Antichrist, in seven years. And at the end of the seven years, here it is. Those, those, that horrible tribulation is described in the previous chapters of the Revelation. But then he comes seated on a white horse. Now here's what Zechariah, it's kind of hard to see in it. Zechariah 12. And it shall come to pass on that day. Now remember Zechariah 9 was about his first coming. Now we're into his second coming. That I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplications. Israel doesn't know Christ as Savior just now. But that 70th seven-year period is coming. For the wrath of God to be poured out upon the earth and for the people of God to finally be drawn in their final 70th seven-year period. But then it comes to an end. During that time, he pours out a spirit of grace upon Israel. And they will look on me whom they pierced. This is Zechariah. Hundreds of years before Christ. And they will grieve for him as one mourns over an only son. And grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Finally, the scales removed from their eyes, the hardness of their hearts broken, the spirit of grace falls on Israel, struggling through that tribulation. On that day, there shall be great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning of Hadadrimon and the valley of Megiddo, it's Armageddon. Great grief and crying. And the land shall mourn, every family apart. The family of the house of David apart and their wives apart. The family of the house of Nathan apart and their wives apart. The family of the house of Levi apart, their wives apart. And the family of the Shimeites apart and their wives apart. All the remaining families, that is of Israel. Every family apart and their wives apart. Here's what it's saying. Family by family of the Israelites Household by household, individual by individual. They will look upon him whom they've pierced. And the spirit of grace will fall upon them. And they will grieve. And they will be saved. Oh, to think 
the years that have passed from the time they rejected him on that Palm Sunday until the day when he comes for them in power and in glory. Now in Zechariah 14, behold, a day of Yahweh is coming. Your plunder shall be shared within you. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to wage war. Just outside, that's Armageddon. The city should be captured, the houses should be plundered, the women should be ravished, half the city shall go into exile and the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city and Yahweh, Yahesus, Jesus, shall go forth and wage war with those nations like the day he waged war on the day of the battle. And on that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem from the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, a very great valley. Half the mountain shall move to the north and half to the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach Azal. And you shall flee as you fled because of the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. It'll be just like that in Yahweh, Elohim. My Lord God, Adonai, Elohi, Yahweh, Elohi, shall come, and all the holy ones with you. And you go back to the Revelation 19, I didn't put it in there, but it said all of the armies of heaven come with him when he comes on that white horse. This is, this is the only place in the Bible where I am mentioned. And you, if you're in Christ, You'll have seven years to learn how to ride a war horse that can fly. So then, Yahweh Elohim shall come. Well, that's Jesus. And all holy ones with you, the armies of heaven. It shall come to pass on that day that there shall be no light, only disappearing light and thick darkness. And it shall be one day that shall be known to Yahweh. There is a day. Neither day nor night, and it shall come to pass that at even tide it shall be light, and it shall come to pass on that day that spring water shall come forth from Jerusalem, half of it to the eastern sea, half of it to the western sea, in summer and in winter it shall be. And I love this part. And Yahweh shall become king over all the earth. On that day shall Yahweh be one. And his name won. Great God. The Father willed it. The Spirit empowered it. And the Son executes it. Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh. Yahasus. Yahweh my Savior. Jesus. 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 And his name shall be one. Behold, your king is coming to you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. How can I be saved? You start 
by understanding that you're lost and without Christ and that you have no hope in this life or in the next without Christ. According to the scriptures, if you'll admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus and call on him to save you because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God would be bound by his word to save you. And you can only come to him because he draws you to himself. What a magnificent God we have. In a moment, we'll stand and we'll have our benediction. If you're here today and you would come to Christ or having come to Christ, you would like to be a part of Shiloh. Then the invitation is open for you. And as you exit, we have deacons and their wives just across the hall in rooms there waiting to pray with you and to speak with you about whatever might be on your heart regarding your salvation or becoming a part of our family here at Shiloh. So right now, prayerfully, let's stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed.